Hello, my name is Rob Edwards and this, it's my podcast. Welcome back one and all to the third and final instalment of my fancy western epic run of Storycast Rob. Uh, Today I'm going to be reading one of my stories, uh, the story I submitted uh, to this fantasy western anthology, Gunsmoke and Dragonfire, that sadly didn't make it in, but I'm super proud of it anyway, and I'm going to share it with you today. Uh, Before I do, uh, just to remind you, Gunsmoke and Dragonfire is now available. Uh, It has got a whole stack of great stories in this sort of weird western, fancy western genre, including some stories from my Inklings buddies, uh, but also some other fantastic stories, two of which you've heard if you've listened to my podcast over the last couple of months. It's on Amazon. Go find a copy, go read a copy, and don't forget to leave a review. By the way, I am releasing a a new podcast for my patrons. Uh, You can join my patrons by going to uh, patreon.com slash storycastrob. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a new podcast for them, exclusively for them, uh, middle of next week, I think. So around about, what would that be, about the 24th of April, uh, which is going to tell you the story of how this particular story, Tales of Chance and Fate, came to be. And I'm going to give you a reading of the original version of this story, because this story was something else before it became this. Uh, so I just thought you'd be interested in in that. So if you are uh, interested in that, you can join, join my patrons for only a dollar a month, uh, and you get uh, exclusive uh, additional podcasts for a year, roughly. Uh, and uh, there are other uh, tiers of uh, benefits where you can get free copies of books and uh, even a signed copy of, of paperback every year. Uh, if you join the top tier. But anyway, enough of that. That's not really why I'm here today. I'm here to read you a story. So let's get on with it. Uh, Here we are. Tales of Chance and Fate by Rob Edwards. Turn around, old man. Jack shuffled to a halt, hands plunged deep into the pockets of his winter jacket. The cold wind found the gap between collar and hat, no matter how he hunched his shoulders. And now this interruption. The voice was young, high-pitched, a young goblin, probably. There were a few goblin homesteads on the outskirts of town, but he didn't know any of them personally. Run along home, kid. Evening's drawing in, and it looks like snow. Ain't neither one of us wanted their corpse to freeze before the boxmakers can fetch it. The few other people on the street made themselves scarce. The age of high street jewels was over and not missed, but recent enough that memories persisted. Jack shut out the sound of slamming doors and shutters, concentrated on the space behind him where the goblin still waited. A shuffling of feet. I'll shoot you in the back if I have to, but I don't want to shoot the wrong man. Turn around. You vixen to kill someone in particular, then. Jack felt the call of fate. Less common in recent years, but still too familiar. He pushed it aside. That wasn't the way. I gotta kill Jack King. Now show your face. Jack King? Ain't he a gambler and gunslinger, last gun standing from over a hundred shootouts and duels? If I was him, what makes you think this ends well for you? Just turn around, please, the goblin said. Sure thing, kid. Jack tottered slowly around, pulled his hands free of his pockets, pushed his jacket around the irons on his hips. His hands may be wrinkled and spotted with age, but they knew this move of old. The goblin boy was even younger than the voice made him sound. If he was human, he looked about ten, but goblins matured faster, so likely he was even younger than that. His clothes were homespun but well made, a successful rancher's son then. The boy goggled at the pistols on Jack's hips. Fate on his right, chance on his left. The boy's own gun was a single-shot matchlock, a museum piece really, still deadly, but if he missed his first shot he wouldn't get a second. You really are him, he said in a whisper. Go home, son, 
Jack said, not unkindly. With a shaky hand, the goblin raised his gun. Sorry, mister. I know, said Jack, hands a blur. Two pistols barked, the matchlock and fate. The retorts simultaneous. Powder smoke enveloped the goblin boy, but Jack's pistol fired clean. The goblin child whimpered. Seems we both missed, said Jack. He shifted his grip, leveled fate at the boy. Go home, son. The goblin fled. Jack holstered chance, took a few steps forward and stooped. He picked up the ball and the bullet, embedded in each other, pocketed them. He worked hard so most people thought of him as a newspaper man with a past than as a famed gunslinger. He didn't want rumours like that circulating again. Pain burned in his right hand, shooting needles up his arm. Not here. Stumbling, he ran up Main Street, fate in hand. His office key was clumsy in his left hand, but it turned in the lock on the third attempt. Downstairs, the night staff were coming on shift, only a few, enough to get the print run set for the early morning. One staffer on standby in case any news happened overnight. A far cry from when Jack used to run the press himself and defend it time to time. Nobody came for the printing press these days, but his reporters, Jack himself, people could get right riled up when you told the truth about them. But they hadn't run a story about Goblin Homesteaders in months. Why come for him? The question wasn't enough to distract him from the agony snaking up his right arm. Jack collapsed into the chair behind his desk, slammed the back of his hand on the blotter. Fate was cold and heavy. His fingers curled around the engraved hilt. Frost crackled around the barrel tip as it touched the paper on his desk. Jack took three rapid, deep breaths, bracing for the pain, then with his left hand pulled his right little finger from the butt of the gun. Flesh ripped. Jack clenched his jaw, his eyes filled with tears. Waves of pain rolled through him. One down. Four more to go. The process left him sweating even in the cold of his office. When at last it was over, his palm and fingers were pink raw. Blood trickled down his lifeline from where the skin had split at the base of his thumb. Fate lay pristine on his blotter. No mark on it, all six rounds chambered, despite Jack never reloading. No sign it had been fired today, no trace of the flesh it had demanded. Jack flexed his hand, adjusting to the pain. The wound would heal over quickly, he knew, but the pain would linger. There was always a price for defying fate. Damn you, he muttered. Then in one swift movement, he scooped up the pistol, slid it back into its holster. There was a knock at the office door. The shadow in the glass meant it was his night manager, Timley. Boss, you okay? We heard some weird noises from up here. Abtaxis reckoned you were singing, but twert no song I ever heard. Come on in, Tim. The door opened, and Timley stepped into the gap. The dwarf was, as ever, impeccably groomed. His short red hair waxed into a severe centre parting, his long beard parted into two neat plaits, arranged to frame his bow tie. Evening, boss. You're here late. They throw you out of the saloon for your singing? Cheek. No singing. Just a little cramping in my hand, an old injury. Legacy of a misspent youth. Best kind of youth, said Tim. I shall leave you to it. Press ain't gonna prep itself. Thanks, Tim. Oh. Tim paused, door half closed. Have we run any goblin-related stories of late? Jack asked. I'm trying to recollect, but don't recall any. Tim thought for a moment. Nothing much interest, nope. We did a piece about that goblin medicine seller that was in town till the week, but nothing else that I'd call goblin-specific. You have something in particular in mind? No, no, that's fine, thanks. You have a good night. I'm away home soon. Before he went, though, the evening called for a little thinking time. Jack pulled open his desk drawer and grabbed his thinking bottle and a shot glass, a splash of whiskey to set him right, take the edge off the hurting. The article they'd published about the medicine man hadn't been too bad. 
Jack had peddled his fair share of coloured water back in the day, and while people deserved to be warned, he had a soft spot for the act. The goblin had had pretty good patter, as he recalled. The article hadn't been complimentary, not exactly, but he couldn't see anyone getting fired up enough about it to come gunning for him. Not enough to send a kid to get shot. He fished the ball and bullet out of his pocket, turned them over in his hand. It didn't make sense. He would send a reporter to the homesteads tomorrow to ask some questions. He dipped a pen in his inkwell and scrawled himself a reminder on the blotter. The scrawl was even more unreadable than normal, thanks to his injury. But he'd remember. He stood, put the whiskey bottle back in the drawer, put the bullet in the now-empty shot glass. It clinked as he put the glass away, too. A keepsake at the bottom of the drawer caught his eye. An old pamphlet. A very old pamphlet. One he'd turned out of his original hand-cranked press. Jack King in Cowboys on Engines. The woodcut picture in the top showed a figure standing on top of a train, firing twin pistols into a group of bandits trying to storm it. Mr. King, there's more over this side, Red shouted. Hold them off a little longer, Red, I called over my shoulder. Don't worry, I'll get us out of this. I sighted down Fate's barrel, no time for distractions now. I had to make it count or we wouldn't get out of this. If Red replied, I didn't hear him. The train swayed around the bend. I adjusted my grip to compensate. Now. I squeezed the trigger and fate roared. The switch lever juddered. Not enough. Rough hands grabbed at my collar. The first of the bandits had made it into the roof. I tucked my chin in and rolled forward, stretching one leg out as I came out of the roll to brace against the safety rail. I couldn't afford to get thrown free. Without looking, I swung my left hand back behind me, pulled the trigger on my colt. I couldn't be sure of the hit, but fate was needed elsewhere. One last shot. Fate kicked me in the hand, but the shot was good. The switching lever rocked back, and as the engine hit the points, we swung out onto the bridge spar. Most of the bandit force was yet to make the train, and they wouldn't be able to stay with us while we crossed the ravine. I'd cut the potential enemy force by half at least. Mr. King! I rolled again, coming up, facing back along the train, guns outstretched. There were a dozen bandits on the train roof with us. I'd stop more joining, but the force already here was overwhelming. Red was swamped. Don't worry, old friend, I'll be right there, I said in my calm, rich voice. I've got this. Three of the bandits were advancing towards me. Their tread was careful and slow, perhaps because of the sway of the train, perhaps because they feared me. One tripped as he stepped over the body of the man I'd killed a moment ago. I steadied my breathing, just like the shaman of the Chulunakar taught me. Concentrated on my surroundings, the creaking of the train, the roar of the engine, the heartbeats of the bandits, the wind picking at my hat, the squeak of a steel bearing off to my left and closing fast. I grinned. I'll be right back, boys. I leapt off the side of the train, catching the arm of the mailhook square in my chest. My momentum carried me on and around, and the arm swung wildly on its axis. I pulled fate awkwardly horizontal and squeezed the trigger. One of the bandits fell back off the train, and my wild ride got wilder with the recoil. As it swung back around towards the train, I was coming up fast on the bandits' pistol-whipping red, half a carriage away from my starting point. I introduced the bandits to my boots, and the force of the blow tumbled them off the train and into the ravine. Mr. King! Thanks! I thumped Red on the shoulder. I told you. We've got this. At least he was a better writer these days. A line switch, a bridge over a ravine, and a mail hook. At least one of those made no sense next to the other two. And as for Red... He slammed the drawer shut. No. Time to go home. The evening was even colder now. Jack's old bones protested at being out in it, but would have protested more if he'd slept in his office chair. Again. There weren't many people out on the streets, too late for most respectable folk, too early for the truly disreputable. That left those in between, like Councilman Trevors, hustling from his office to the lodge. Evening, Mr. King. Jack tipped his hat. Good evening, Councilman. 
time was, a man like Trevor's wouldn't have known him, wouldn't acknowledge him, not unless he had some problem that needed fixing. Jack was trade now, a newspaper man, his days of gunfights and late-night card games, and gunfights over late-night card games, were far behind him, tonight's distractions notwithstanding. He wasn't respectable, the shady past saw to that, but he was respected, a fine line to be sure, but he walked it. He'd been many people in his life, some of them even real, but at his age a little steadiness was what he needed, and the newspaper gave it to him. He didn't need to go gallivanting off around the place having adventures. He had people to do that for him now. Tomorrow he'd send a couple of boys to ask around the goblin homesteads, see if they could figure out which one the goblin kid had come from, and find out why he'd wanted to kill Jack King. It was good to be in charge. The third homestead on the list was the furthest out. Jack pulled up his horse, Sneezy, outside the gated entrance. He should have sent the boys. Morning was no warmer than last night, and while his writer's brain informed him that the fine dusting of snow created a sense of quiet change, a difference that heralded an ending, his more practical leanings knew it meant the ground was hard, treacherous underfoot, and would turn to mud once the sun was high enough in the sky to melt the snow. The goblin whose homestead this place was called Bisney. He'd taken over from a human farmer who'd upped sticks and headed west. The sign over the gate still read, McNair's Farm, though somebody had made a half-hearted attempt to paint over McNair with green paint. So, if you squinted, it read, Bisnair's Farm. Jack nudged Sneezy into motion again, ducking under the sign as he passed through the gate. The place was quiet. Jack had lived most of his adult life on the frontier, and farms were the frontier's life. But that didn't mean he knew anything about farming. He'd ridden one cattle drive, but otherwise he left the farming to those who knew anything about animals or plants. What Jack knew was people. And that's what was lacking on this farm. Nobody out in the fields. Sneezy passed a fence that needed repairing, and nobody was out fixing it. A farm like this couldn't risk losing what little livestock it had just because of a broken fence. Jack brushed his long coat clear of his guns. Something was wrong here. He pulled Sneezy up in front of the main farm building and dismounted, draping the reins over the hitching post, but didn't tie them. Stay here, girl, Jack told her. He pulled Chance from its holster. The farm door opened. An adult goblin stood in the doorway. Green skin, long nose, untidy black hair under his derby. He carried a shotgun, the size of him, but it was pointing at the ground, not at Jack. Mr. Bisney? Jack asked. Yep. Good morning. I was wondering if you could... You Jack King, then? I am. You'd better come in. You can put your gun away. You won't need it. Sure. Jack holstered chance, confident in his quick draw if it came to it. Age had dulled many things, but not that. Not yet. The smell in the kitchen was overpowering. Goblins got a bad rap for being smelly, but they couldn't help the biology. It looked, though, as if Bisney's whole family lived in the one room, and the concentration of goblin scent off of the whole goblin clan was staggering. Jack's eyes filled with tears immediately, and though he tried to stifle a coughing fit, it was futile. By the time he'd finished, his sides ached and his throat was raw. Jack felt safer, though. If Bisney wanted him dead, he'd just had ample opportunity. Jack blinked until his eyes cleared enough to make out his surroundings. The walls were lined with slings and hammocks for the younger children, with piles of dirty hay on shelves for the older ones. The adults slept at ground level. Six piles of sacks at the far end served double duty as beds and food storage. To Jack's human eyes, it was filthy and disgusting. But if he'd learned anything from his time with the Chulinakar, it was the different cultures had different values. Nice place, Mr. Bisney, Jack choked out. The goblin jerked his head in a nod. Not much, but it's home. This is my wife, Slizzy. Charmed, said Jack with a bow. 
and you met our eldest, Chip. Chip. The goblin boy from the night before stepped out of the crowd of children. Morning, Mr. King. Sorry and all about trying to shoot you. It's quite all right, Chip. It happens more than you'd think. I was hoping maybe you could tell me why in this particular instance. Bisney reached up and put a hand on Jack's elbow. Let's take a stroll, Mr. King. Sure. The goblin clearly had something to say, but Jack knew better than to rush him. Snatch at a story when it's willing to come to you, and you could crush it. Sometimes you had to let it have its head. Bisney led Jack outside again, past Sneezy, the woodpile, then angled towards the back. It was a fine place, Bisney said, and we was lucky to find it. Sort of place you can really make a life. I'm no expert, but it does seem a nice parcel of land. Yep. Wondered why the McNairs would leave it. Don't want to know more. The backyard was uneven, lumpy even. Under the snow, Jack couldn't see what the lumps were. Some sort of planting arrangement, maybe? They were large and uneven, and there were dozens of them. Bisney had them stop at the first of the lumps. Dusted snow off the near end to reveal a face. Jack took a step back. What? I didn't kill him, Bisney said. What's going on here? Jack looked across the yard. Dozens. What are they doing here? Nothing much, if and we don't try to move in numbers. That's not what I meant, said Jack. He knelt by the body. Whoever he was, he'd been dead for weeks, months maybe. He had been human, heavy-set, in his forties when he died, but decay had hollowed him out. His skin was grey and waxy, sunken in. His milky eyes were open and stared sightless at the sky. Tentatively, Jack brushed more of the snow away. A bullet in the chest is what had killed him. The messy injury was unmistakable. But what was also unmistakable were half a dozen more divots in the corpse's chest, more bullet holes. But these were tighter, like the shock of the bullet hadn't spread. Bullets fired into a corpse. Jack backed up, feeling a cold that had nothing to do with the snow. He'd seen this before, a long, long time ago. Mr. Bisney, what happens if you do try to move in numbers? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Jack gripped the goblin's shoulder hard. Tell me. The dead walk, Mr. King. They walk and they talk. They say one thing over and over. What do they say, Mr. Bisney? Bisney's eyes widened, looking past Jack at the field of corpses. We gotta get back inside, Mr. King. The bodies were all pulling themselves upright, snow sloughing off them. Awkwardly, they stepped forward, mouths opening. Every throat rattled the same phrase in a raspy unison. Jack King must die. The kitchen door shook again as the dead hammered on it. How long does this go on for? asked Jack. It's usually stopped by now, said Slizzy. She sat on the windowsill taking her turn with a shotgun. All the windows were shuttered and locked, but if you looked through the slats on this one, you could see the door. Normally when they get riled up, they go rest again after ten minutes if we're all inside. They'll chase us if more than a couple of us are outside. And they didn't stop Chip at all when he left. They don't seem to mind if only one or two of us move around. They normally only bother getting up if we all try to leave. That seems kind of discerning for a bunch of dead people, said Jack. Slizzy shrugged. I don't know what to tell you. All I know, that's what happens. A cloud of small goblin children gathered around the kitchen table where Jack sat. Chip stepped forward with a bunch of yellowed paper in his hand. The little ones want you to read them one of your stories, said Chip, holding out the papers. I don't care. I mean, you can if you want to and all. Jack accepted the preferred papers. Dozens of old Jack King stories, a little faded and crumpled, but there were some there he'd not seen since they were printed. Where did you... Are these yours, Chip? 
No, said Chip a little quickly. They were left by the stupid McNairs. I think they're stupid, but the young uns ain't so bright. They like them. One of the goblin girls, Litzia, maybe, pulled one of the papers from the stack. I want this one, she said with a pout. I like the horsey on it. Jack looked at it. Jack King and the Horse Wrangler Rescue. Are you sure? This is one of my really early ones. I got a lot better later on. Horsey! I rested my hand on my Colt revolver. The men opposite me twitched nervously to see the gun so close to my hand, but took courage from their numbers and didn't back down. It was time to make my position clear. Gentlemen, I'm afraid I simply cannot allow you to accost this man and take his horses. Stand down or I will be forced to take action. The leader of the bandits spat tobacco on the ground beside him. It'll take more than fancy words and a steely gaze, mister. This here Devanian is on our land. And we all know what the only type of good Devanian are. Eloquently put, friend, I retorted. But this man is now under the protection of Jack King. I've got this. I say again. Stand down. The Devanian cowered between us, gripping the lead ropes of his horse for grim death. Please, Mr. King, I didn't do anything. I look Devanian, but I'm not really. Only on my mother's side. I'm Veltron through and through. Red Ferguson's the name. The bandits realised their mistake instantly. Though the war was over, people's memories were long, and they may have been forgiven for threatening Devanians. But to treat a Veltran like this was unforgivable, they knew. Their only chance now was to leave no witnesses. Reckon I'm mighty sorry to hear that, their leader opined. Kill em down at the dogs they are. I'm not the fastest gun in the West and never will be, but I'd been trained by the famous Tuster Dandy and knew a few tricks. I ducked left, a twist of my wrist freeing the colt from her holster, thumbing back the hammer in one smooth motion. The bandits had fired already, but without taking aim, and my sudden move had soured their shots, and bullets tore through the space I'd been in, coming perilously close to piercing my shirt sleeve. Red's horses cried out in terror, and Red himself cowered between them, but I couldn't let myself be distracted. Instead, I sighted the bandit leader and squeezed the trigger. The unmistakable smell of gunpowder assailed my nostrils as the bandit fell, blood fountaining from his shoulder. His three comrades, wise to my tricks, turned their revolvers towards me again, but I gave them no chance. My revolver kicked in my hand as I fired one shot, two, three though only the first bullet found its target. The bandits were startled, and once more their shots went wild. I smiled grimly. Two bandits left, and only two bullets chambered. The bandits circled, trying to keep their horses between us, looking for an escape, but finding only open terrain between them. This could turn into a stalemate if I wasn't careful. Red seemed calmer now, so I caught his gaze with my own, then flicked my eyes to the right. He looked confused, then nodded carefully as a sudden realisation hit. I raised my left hand, and then quickly let it fall. Taking it as a signal, the horse wrangler gave a mighty yell and slapped one of the horses on the rump. The startled horses bolted, dragging Red along with them, while the bandits found themselves suddenly revealed. Peekaboo, I quipped before shooting them both dead. Huh. Seems like I missed more in the early days. Of course, that was before Jack had found fate and later chance. Red had been there from the beginning, though in the real world he was called Fergus Green, not Red Ferguson. Young Jack had been so vain, changed all the names in his stories but his own. Would have been much better if he'd changed that too. Poor Fergus. Wait. Jack snatched back the pages, riffled through them. Not here. Chip, is this all there was? Did you find one called Jack King in the Minds of the Dead? I don't think so. Another thump as the dead outside battered at the kitchen door. But this time, with a protesting cry, the wood split. The door still held, but it wasn't going to last forever. Was it here in the house? Quickly, show me. Chip nodded and ducked further into the house. Business clan slept in the kitchen, lived in the kitchen, but used the house for storage and workrooms, not for living quarters.
It was the goblin way. They found sleeping alone difficult. The smell lingered throughout, but Jack was grateful that it lessened once free of the concentration of the kitchen. What's so important about this story? Chip asked as he ran. It was where I found this. Jack tapped Chance on his hip. In a mine full of dead things just like these. Maybe they're angry I took this gun. Maybe it's something else. Fergus. But if we can find that story, maybe we can find something in it that will tell us how to stop them. In here, said Chip. Jack's heart sank. The room was small, but stacked high with junk. Everything that the McNairs hadn't taken with them, and Bisney had no use for, had ended up in this room. Desks, chairs and tables bowed under the weight of knick-knacks and broken farm equipment, ledgers, papers and unrepaired clothes. Food scraps and trash Jack couldn't name completed the picture. If the one paper he needed was in here, they would never find it in time. Goblins were famed hoarders, and while Jack didn't like to judge a people by their cliché, another lesson from the Chulanakar, Bisney was doing nothing to dispel it. Chip's face split in a grin that only a goblin could pull off. Don't worry, Mr. King. What is it you always say in your stories? I've got this. With a whoop, Chip leapt into the trash pile and vanished from sight. Jack swept a chair free of the junk and sat. He'd had a busy day, the like of which he'd not had in years. They were more tiring than he remembered. He pulled a kerchief from his coat pocket, dabbed his forehead. If it helps, the woodcut at the top was a tombstone, I think. Poor, poor Fergus. Chip resurfaced a piece of paper in his hand. He looked at it in the light. Jack King, an ace looking for a queen. No, not this one. Jack flushed. No, not that one. Uh, give it here. I'll take that. That was a more experimental piece and probably not suitable for kids, not even goblin ones. Maybe if you'd tell me the story while I'm looking, Mr. King. Even if it's not here, maybe you'll remember some of it. Not a bad idea, Chip. Chip dove back under while Jack closed his eyes to think. We just parted ways from Jean. I call her Jane Ballard in the stories. So it was just me and... me and Red. We'd heard rumours that fate had a twin, and Red was keen to find it. He liked the idea of us both having magic guns. We chased down rumours and legends. There was a treasure map at one point, though I don't rightly remember if I made that bit up. Legend said the last owner had found the deepest, darkest place he could and thrown it in. We were never clear why. In the end, we reckoned we'd found the right hole, and we had, an abandoned mine, out Vosper-Tramis way. It took some doing, but we got down there and found this thing, lying on the ground, surrounded by dead folk. Jack's fingers curled around Chance's grip. The memory was strong, even now. I grabbed Chance, and we took two steps back towards the winch to get us back to the surface, when the dead folk all stood up. Frightened the spit out of us. Out of red. Us. Damn it, the truth kept getting in the way of the story. We hightailed it, double quick. But them dead folk stayed with us, and shooting did nothing. Slowed them down a bit, maybe. But they just kept a coming. They tripped Fergus at one point. He dropped his gun, vanished into the dark. We had no time to look. I tossed him fate, and we rushed on. I made it to the winch first, hopped in the lift basket, cast off. Fergus, red, he was right behind me. The story got harder to tell here. Fergus had fired two last shots with fate, then grabbed the edge of the basket. He had to drop fate on my feet to get a good grip, but even as I started us up the ropes, some of the dead folk grabbed red's legs. We were too heavy. The counterweight wasn't enough. We weren't going nowhere. Without thinking, I leaned over, sighted the arm of one of the dead holding Red down, and pulled the trigger. It was the first time I'd fired Chance. Thought it would be like fate, but... Fate, you point that at something, it all but begs to take the shot. 
If someone is meant to die by gunfire, fate's keen to do the deed. The trick with fate, sometimes, is getting it not to shoot, or to shoot something else. Defiant fate costs. Always. Jack flexed his still tender hand. But chance is different. Still don't know I really understand its rules. Certainly not then. Chance don't always hit what you're aiming at. Jack had thought the first shot was a fluke. A bullet ricocheted off something and the basket had swayed. He'd thought nothing of it, just fired again. The second shot struck not the dead folk clawing at the basket. Instead, Red gave a yell of agony and his grip on the basket failed. That first shot must have hit something in the winch mechanism, some safety thing maybe, because suddenly I was hurtling upwards, and though I pulled at every rope I could reach, I couldn't slow my ascent. Red's death throes cut off before they faded below me. I don't know that I wrote it quite like that before, but that's the truth of it. He'd shot his best friend. It hadn't been on purpose, but that didn't help ease the memory. Chip climbed out of the trash pile, came and hugged Jack's leg. Jack patted him on the head. Thanks, son. It was a long time ago. I'm sorry, Mr. King. If that paper was here, I'd have found it by now, Chip said. Does this mean them dead things are gonna eat us? Jack was exhausted. Don't you worry, Chip. I've got this. From up in the rafters, Bisney called. They're coming again, and they got a battering ram. The retort of his matchlock was loud and probably futile. We better go help your ma, Jack said, and let Chip help him to his feet. Back in the kitchen, the kids all huddled in a corner, grandparents and farmhands to the front, shielding the young. Slizzy stood in front of the door, shotgun to her shoulder. She flinched at each thump of the ram against the door. Weak winter sun glimmered through cracks in the wood, cracks that breached further with each thump. Slizzy, said Jack, get your kids out of here, up into the roof maybe. These things don't climb well, as I recall. No, squeaked Litzia from the pack. The children stay, said Slizzy, not looking at Jack. Goblins are stronger with their family around them. It's our way. Live together, and if necessary, die the same way. Bisney followed Chip and Jack into the kitchen. My wife, Mr. King. She's the strongest woman I know, and no mistake. But Jack had nothing to add. Without another word, he stepped up behind Snizzy, pulled fate and chance from their holsters. The irons felt odd in his hands, cold lifeless, like normal guns. Here at the end, perhaps their magic had abandoned him. The kitchen door splintered, enough now to see half the head of a dead woman beyond. Jack levelled fate and put a bullet in the thing. She fell away. Begging your pardon, ma'am, Jack said. Dead or no, he wasn't keen on shooting women. And no mistake, Jack had made that shot. Fate had no interest in these things. Jack King must die! Jack King must die! The chant was clear, with the door splintered, a ragged rasp, with each die punctuated with a strike of the ram. For dead folk, they sure do have a sense of theatre, said Jack. It was the kind of thing people expected him to say in moments like this, but having said it, it struck him as odd. The dead walking was one thing, but this level of planning, tactics... Theatre. It stretched the impossible to... What's worse than impossible? The door gave way. It had lasted longer than Jack expected, but it was just wood, designed to keep out the cold and not always great at that. Slizzy let loose with her shotgun. It blasted the front two dead folk, who fell backwards, and the recoil sent Slizzy back into the arms of her family. But the dead didn't swarm inside. Instead, they stopped chanting, stood back, forming two neat rows, leading from the farmhouse to the one last of their number. "'Hey, Jack,' said Fergus Green. "'Did you miss me?' 
Jack stepped out of the farmhouse, fate and chance leading the way. The dead stood either side of him, flanking the path to their leader. They moved not a jot, no breath or fidget, like cadavers pulled upright on meat hooks. Without their chant, they were also completely silent, uncanny and disturbing. "'Been a good few years, Jack. You got old,' said Fergus. "'Old and slow.' Hurry it up, old man, I don't have all day. Fergus looked no older, like he hadn't aged a day in thirty years, but that didn't mean he looked well. His skin was pale and waxy like the dead folk he controlled, but Jack didn't think he was one of them. Fergus's chest moved as he spoke, breath still moved in his lungs. He was not motionless either, he rocked from foot to foot, drumming his fingers of his right hand against his hip impatiently. But his jacket hung oddly on his shoulder, sunken where Chance's bullet had carved a chunk out of him. This was the same man, no doubt, not quite dead, but, Jack suspected, not quite alive, neither. How are you here, Fergus? You mean, how am I not dead after you shot me and left me behind to a pack of undying monsters, you mean? Jack edged forwards halfway to this half-man. Come on, Jack, I want to hear you admit it. You shot me and left me to die, right? Yes. As one, the dead folk around him clapped their hands together in a mockery of applause. The sound was not sharp, more muted, deadened. Well done, Jack. It takes a big man to admit he's a goddamn betraying, murdering son of a bitch. Guess you done grown up a mite. We're here to put a stop to that, too. Yeah, said Jack. No thanks. He sighted on Fergus's head, pulled the triggers on chance and fate, together. Click, click. Fergus chuckled, a cold, dry sound. Fate's no interest in me any more, old friend, and you had your one chance with me back thirty years ago. You blew it then. You never understood what you had, the power you wield, and you did what with it? Turned it into some penny-dreadful freak show? You enjoyed my stories back then. Brought you fame, coin, and women, as I recall. And earned me a heroic death when the faithful Tagalong sacrificed himself to save the hero. That's how you wrote my murder, right? Don't lie, I've read it. Read all your fairy tales since your betrayal. They fed me, kept me alive. My hate kept me strong. Fergus sagged and two of his dead folk moved to flank, each taking an elbow to support him. "'What's wrong?' Jack asked. "'What's wrong? What's wrong?' Fergus's voice dripped venomous contempt. "'You murdered me, that's what's wrong. Oh, it's taken a few decades to stick, thanks to some quick thinking and dark magic. But it always ended this way. Couldn't let you get away with it, not until I'd confronted you about your lies.' He threw off his support, took an unsteady step towards Jack. And now I have. Goodbye, Jack. The dead dug their nails in, pulled at Jack's arms. One leaned in to bite. Wait! Jack roared. You haven't told me how you survived. Give me that at least. Let me understand how clever you are. <laughs> not an idiot, Jackie boy. You'd say anything to take another breath. That's why I'm taking it from you. Cold, rotten teeth scraped across Jack's skin. Blood welled up where ragged nails clawed at him. His shoulders burned as other dead pulled at his arms, trying to tear him apart. Jack groaned. At least it'll be quick. Quick? I've been dying thirty years. You think you get a quick death? Oh, I know you're playing me again, seeing you run your scams on everybody from coast to bloody coast. I'm not fooled. You never fooled me, not once. But you also happen to be right. Let's keep this slow while we can. The pull on Jack's arms loosened. The dead moved their teeth away. You want the story of how I survived? You have to know why we were even in that damn mine. That was all me. I was sick of you and your magic gun that never missed. You were the hero of those damn stories because you lucked into that magic toy. By right, it should have been me, not you. 
I knew it couldn't be unique. I spent a year chasing down stories of other magical guns, and then I found the story of chance. Fate only shoots people who are destined to get shot. Chance? <laughs> that lets you shoot at whatever you need to shoot, even if you don't know it. Imagine that kind of power. Fire a gun in a crowd and hit the guy who means you harm? I needed that kind of power. It took a month of hints before you took the bait. For a while there, I thought I was going to have to hit you with a stick before you got it. I didn't tell you everything, of course. I knew there were supposed to be guardians. If I was lucky, they'd do for you. But if not, I'd still come out a winner. But when we got there, you claimed chance for yourself? Greedy as ever, Jack. I should have guessed. When the dead chased us, I had to throw my gun away before it even occurred to you to give me one of the magic ones. And you still gave me the wrong one. It was chance I wanted, but fate had other ideas. But fine, I'm adaptable. I could work with that. And then you put a bullet in me. Chance must have thought I meant you harm. I fell back, but the dead stopped attacking me the moment you vanished above us. It was chance they guarded, and with the gun itself gone, they turned to guard in the one fragment they had left. The bullet you put in me. That's right, Jack. You not only failed to kill me, but your betrayal gave me the key to my survival. And my own army, too. I learned the magic of that place, learned to survive, clawed my way out eventually, and brought my army with me. Let Mr. King go. Chip, stay back. For the first time, Jack struggled. He pulled one hand free at the cost of a deep scratch across his wrist. Blood splattered across the snow. Jack stamped on the foot of one of the dead who held him from behind. He drove his free fist into the face of another. The blow lacked the fire of his youth, but he still remembered how to throw a punch. The dead man's head rocked back, but it showed no other reaction. No cry of pain, no change of expression, just implacable silence. More dead swarmed in. Two of them grabbed Chip, scooping him up off the ground, mindless of the kicks he levelled at them. The others piled on Jack, driving him to the ground. "'You got yourself a new tag-along?' asked Fergus. He shambled up to Chip, one foot dragging behind him. "'Bit of a greenhorn, wouldn't you say?' Jack tried to reply, but the weight of bodies made it hard to breathe, never mind speak. Fergus reached up to Chip's throat. "'Shall I take something from you, Jackie boy?' Chip snapped at Fergus's fingers, kicking out to keep him away. I'd be doing you a favour. Seems like this one's a bit feral. But I owe the tyke. I let him run to town, figured he'd fetch you. Dead men walking, innocent ranchers in trouble, like catnip to a hero type like you. The mighty Jack King to the rescue. He tried to kill me, Jack attempted to say, but his mouth was full of mud and snow. What was that? Speak up, thirty years I've been waiting on this, thirty years with only these guys to talk to, and all you can do is mumble, for shame. Oh, let him up, he can't do any harm now. Silently, the dead withdrew. Jack stood, dusted himself. The cut on his wrist should hurt more, and that worried him. It was painful to stoop to collect his hat, but he didn't plan on dying badly dressed. I said... Chip tried to kill me yesterday evening. He heard your dead folk talking and figured if he did the deed, they'd go away. He... Fergus goggled, then burst into guffaws. He tried to kill you. <laughs> and wouldn't that have ruined my revenge? Years I spent planning the perfect... And you... <laughs> go on, goblin child. Run back to your family. Tell them you're safe. We have everything we want now. Chip looked at Jack, indecision painted across his face. Jack nodded. Go be with your family, son. It's the goblin way. Chip ran. Thirty years? Jack asked. Thirty years. And all you've done for thirty years is plan to find me. I made some trips into town to pick up supplies, find the latest Jack King adventure. But yeah, thirty years. It took a long time to master the magic of that place. I couldn't risk my control slipping. 
Not when I had to find you. We had some good times back in the day, before it all fell apart. We did. Jack flicked his coat away from the irons on his hips. Okay, Fergus. I'm ready. For the wrong I've done you and yours, I accept it. I apologize for it. I'm ready to put things right. You plan on going down shooting, Jack? It won't save you. Ain't fixin' to get saved. I'm just here to right a wrong. Appreciate it. As one, the dead stepped forwards. Jack's hand blurred, freed chance from its holster, and in one fluid motion tossed it to the feet of the closest of the dead. As one, the dead stopped. The dead thing leaned forward, picked up the gun. Then, as one, they turned and walked away. Wait, where are you going? Fergus shouted. You need to listen to the story, Fergus. Thirty years their magic kept you alive. Thirty years because you were determined to find me. But the magic in that cave... Don't reckon I understand it one bit, not like you do. But those things, before everything else, were guardians of that gun. They weren't out for revenge, but they knew if you led them to me, they'd get their chance. No, they're brainless. They followed me. They were going to get my revenge. Fergus's breathing became more laboured with each protest, gasping for air. His breath rattled in his throat. I'm not the man I was back then, Fergus. I carry the guns because I'm frightened what someone else might do with them, not because I need them. I was quick to the gun back in my youth. A man of action blazing a legend across the West. But I've set them aside. My words don't serve my legend now, and they're stronger for it. You, you're still the same petty man you ever were. But I'm sorry. I think, if I'm right, that's about a change, too. Fergus bent over, hacking out a coughing fit. You talk too much, old man. You always did. I'll get my... <clears throat> and Fergus stopped, turned, walked away, following after the other guardians of chance. Jack doffed his hat. Goodbye, old friend. I'm sorry. And there we go, another story done. I really hope you enjoyed that. I am super proud of it. I think there's uh, there's a, 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 some really nice ideas in there and the sort of playing with storytelling concepts. Um, I, I, I don't like saying nice things about what I've written generally because it always get, comes off as a bit kind of whatever. But yeah, yeah, I'm pleased with that one. I'm pleased with uh, with that story. Uh, it will eventually find its way into a book. Uh, if Diane doesn't do a follow-up to her Gunsmoke and Dragonfire, uh, it will probably end up going into uh, my annual uh, anthology of my stories from the podcast, uh, like uh, Mic Drop was last year. So at some point you will see uh, this in print as well. But I hope you enjoyed it uh, in uh, podcast form today. Uh, I will be back next month uh, with another story from me... Oh, I'm going to have to write something. Oh, it's been quite nice having to just uh, read stories from other people the last few months. I'm going to have to write something again. Gosh, wow. Okay, I must get on to that. Uh, but anyway, that's a, that's a worry for me for another day. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed that today, and I will catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.